Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of Citizen Dame. This is our post-Oscar show, and we're so excited. Um, I am Karen Peterson, and I am joined by Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And you know her, you love her, and she is back for round two, Yolanda Machado. Hi. All right. Yolanda was our very first guest, and she's back today. Kristen and Kim are both not available. Um, Kristen is in L.A. I actually, actually, she's in Beverly Hills. I just picked her up at the airport and took her to her fancy hotel. And (laughs) we did not see any Army Hammer sightings along the way. Um, (laughs) And Kim is recovering from the Evergreen comic convention or something i don't i don't know she was off hanging out with like comic book nerds and having a good old time but so they will be back next week and um but today we are just going to talk about all sorts of things oscar related first i wanted to do a quick shout out as you might have heard we we launched a patreon this week and we have four subscribers we want to say thank you to that's jacob nicole adriana and tau and um we'll get your right information next week so we can do this properly and really thank you but thanks so much you guys for your support and uh yeah so we're gonna get into it basically you know there wasn't much going on this week, so we don't have a lot of news to cover. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, <laughs> this whole episode, we're just going to talk about Oscar stuff, and there is plenty to talk about, but we'll try to keep this moving so that this doesn't take five years to edit one episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> just really, that's the only consideration. Right, exactly. This is really just about sparing me and my sanity, so... <laughs> <laughs> But um, anyway, uh, first of all, just we'll go through a lot of like, we'll kind of go through the entire award show start to finish pretty quickly. But overall, what were your impressions, Yolanda? You know, I enjoyed it, but I obviously have a few personal investments there. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I don't, I mean, I get what I saw what people were saying that they thought it was boring, that there was no surprises, but um. I think it was a good beginning for the things many of us have been fighting for. Yeah. And Lauren, what do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much there with it. I was uh, I was unfortunately very tired and hungover yesterday to begin <laughs> with. So then staying up and watching a four-hour award ceremony, almost a four-hour award ceremony, was just a little bit tiring. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was largely pleased. I think that, you know, there were some predictable things. There were some things that people were predicting were going to happen that didn't, that I was perfectly satisfied with. Uh, yeah, I, I liked, I liked some of the Me Too shout outs and some of the, the fact that people seem to be taking it seriously, that this, you know, we did, we didn't get, we did get a few kind of off color Harvey Weinstein jokes, but not many. And I was very appreciative of that. You know, I said earlier when all the Me Too stuff began, when all the Harvey Weinstein stuff started up and all of this sort of gushing of, of 
madness in Hollywood this past year. Um, that the Oscars were going to be really awkward. And they sort of were, but they also weren't. There was a lot of good stuff coming out of it. So I, I'm largely pleased. Yeah, I think there, there, I mean, some of the awkwardness, I think, was the fact that, like, Kimmel took that really personally last year when the Best Picture mix-up happened. He felt responsible for it, and he spent a lot of time worrying about that. So I think you have that going on. Then you have the Me Too stuff going on. Then you have the fact that they were just trying to make it a really classy show because it's this big 90th anniversary. So it's like all these things together did make it a more subdued show than than in recent years. But I think overall it was it was good. It was mostly very positive. It was uplifting. There were some great messages and things, so... Yeah, I I, uh, I quite enjoyed it as well. So let's uh, let's go ahead and start off. First of all, did anybody watch any red carpet coverage? No, I don't. I don't typically watch the red carpets because I can't stand the questions. So <laughs> the questions are so bad. Oh my gosh, Lauren, did yeah, you watch I, anything? I watched a little bit of it. I watched a little bit of ABC's red carpet red carpet coverage, um, and was sort of keeping track of what people were saying about Ryan Seacrest on the side. Yeah. Uh, um, so I watched some of that. I mean, the red carpet is always sort of banal and you know a little bit uh, superficial. Isn't even the correct word. Just kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was nice seeing some of the people I loved there was like right before the Oscars actually started Nicole Kidman like interrupted Sandra Bullock's (laughs) (laughs) interview to basically talk about how much she loves Sandra Bullock it was just like (laughs) and it was just that was the kind of thing that was really nice to watch it was just like oh can we just watch this could they just like like have a conversation um yeah I remember uh Tiffany Haddish uh had a as always, was very funny mm-hmm. on the red carpet. So there were a few things that I liked, but I wasn't paying terribly close attention to most of it. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I really noticed was, um, I think someone, there was a filming, a quick clip of, uh, like, Lupita uh, Nyong'o and Winston Duke um, and, who, who, um, God, I'm terrible for forgetting her name, Denai Gudetta, I think. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. They did, like, a little, like, Wakanda pose sort of thing on the carpet (laughs) I saw that and that made me giddy so (laughs) nice I love it um yeah I I was kind of watching a little bit of the coverage but not a whole lot in past years like I I'll admit I love seeing what people are wearing but I don't like when the questions are just focused on stupid crap like that like ask them real stuff and let me admire the pretty dress while they're answering the question you know but um that's just how I feel about it. But yeah, it was interesting, the whole Ryan Seacrest thing, because it was like, yeah. E could have gone so many different ways in how they handled that. And they were like, no, we're just going to put everything behind Ryan. We stand by him. And it was very interesting how that did not work out for them at all. <laughs> well, as a few people were saying, even before the show started, they were like, of all of the boring ass white men, to, to be like, we have to protect, the one person we must protect is Ryan Seacrest. Just like, literally, a, a, a saltine cracker could do his job. So like, true. He is, it's, <laughs> he's so boring. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, well, and like, he is the worst when, like, 
as far as big name people, he's the worst on red carpet interviews. He sucks at it so bad year after year. And yet they're still like trying to entrust him with this thing. And it's just like, just because he owns half your network doesn't mean you have to give him this opportunity, you know? So anyway, enough about that garbage person. Let's uh, move into the show. So it starts off with like this old style, black and white news reel type thing and there's like the announcer guy and he's going along the carpet and shouting people out and um and one of the, I wrote down a couple of the jokes one that was funny was army hammer was born when a witch put a curse on a ken doll <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny and then it accurate yes yes exactly yeah so then it goes backstage and you see that the announcer voice guy is actually Jimmy Kimmel so he comes out to the stage and he starts doing his um, monologue and uh, a couple of the things that he said uh, this year when you get your name called don't get up right away wait a few seconds <laughs> which you know I mean he had to address it right off the bat but um <laughs> Uh, then he starts talking about Oscar, who is 90 this year, and he talks about how Oscar is perfect. He keeps his hands where you can see them. He has no genitalia. He's literally a statue of limitations. <laughs> 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 I liked that one. Uh, then he talked about Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams and that whole pay disparity issue. And uh, then he said, if we can't trust agents, we're in big trouble. But then he also was talking about, oh, it's so great. Mark Wahlberg donated his salary. Hey, Michelle, you know, it's your turn. What are you going to do with that 80 bucks you got? <laughs> so it was cute. Um, and then uh, my favorite joke of his for the whole night was 2017 is the year men screwed up so badly women started dating fish. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk more about that later because I have some things to say. But that was a solid joke. I liked it. Um, any comments, thoughts about Kimmel and his opening monologue? Not really. I mean, <laughs> he did as expected. Um, I thought, I mean, if you watch his show, he's, that's how he is. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I love his show. I was very disappointed that there weren't any jokes about Matt Damon and downsizing, <laughs> but because that was like come on that's an easy one but whatever it's fine was, was matt damon even there because no. i don't recall any cutaways to him. no he wasn't there which is probably why they cut down on the matt damon jokes this year but i was a little bummed because um, i love those <laughs> yeah i mean i i was glad that there was a little bit of earnestness in in some of what kimmel was saying uh -huh. it, it wasn't it, there were jokes but it was it was also like hey, we've actually kind of been through it right now, and we have a lot of shit we got to deal with. Right, exactly, uh, yeah. And I, I was surprised, actually, that he even brought up the Mark Wahlberg-Michelle Williams pay disparity thing. Like, I, And it, he turned it into a joke, as, as you kind of need to. Um, but it was... Because it's a very specific, it was a very specific event that I had almost completely forgotten about, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. until he mentioned it again. And then I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing to bring up in this climate right now. That's okay. Well, and that's what's great about Kimmel, though, in the way he does this, is he'll take something that's a really serious situation, and he will make a joke about it, but he's not making fun of it. He's using his yeah. humor to point out how ridiculous this situation is. Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering why he chose them, though, instead of E, when E just went through the same thing themselves with Kat Sadler. Um, and that, con considering the whole Ryan Seacrest thing is at the top and how the network's avoiding that issue, 
they're avoiding a whole other issue. So there was like, okay, you chose one that we kind of all forgot about already, not the one that's ongoing and right outside the door right now. Yeah, but E is like, because this is a show that's being produced by ABC. E is a separate network. Michelle Williams is very much like a loved Academy, Academy member. And so for the situation and where he was at, I, to me it made sense to, to pull that one out. And it had to do with a movie that has a nomination this year. So Yeah, they're, they're also much more immediately recognizable yeah. uh, names. I mean, and anyone... So I, I absolutely agree. I think that the E issue is more serious because it kind of highlights some of the problems that are going on across Hollywood right now that you know the the all the money in the world thing highlighted it but then it sort of fell apart and and as you say we largely forgot about it Mm -hmm. uh but with someone like michelle williams and mark Wahlberg, we know their names we don't really it's it's easy to forget i i don't know the names of most of the e-presenters uh i know ryan seacrest's name and that's about it just because i don't watch it that often so it's not as immediately recognizable to uh the wide audience i think yeah and that was an accessible situation that everybody in that room knew about they didn't require background to understand what he was what he was talking about so yeah 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 um yeah so then he announces that the win that whoever gives the shortest acceptance speech tonight will win a brand new jet ski and he shows the jet ski and it is being modeled by helen mirren (laughs) which was funny and um, that will come back later. So then they start off with the first award of the night, Best Supporting Actor. Viola Davis, last year's Best Supporting Actress, presents the Academy Award to Sam Rockwell for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yolanda, I know you have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so I just giggled. I was like, I, was like uh, I mean, I tweeted this out last night. I was like, listen, I love Sam Rockwell. I do. Like, I, I that's, him and Francis were my main reasons for watching that terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> but I just I don't know, like for like best supporting actor to me already like lost any accreditation the second they didn't nominate um Michael Stahlberg for either of his roles. Mm-hmm. And then the the Academy awards it to uh Sam Rockwell who, yeah, he was fantastic, but his character is this racist cop that there is no redemption, so, uh, and there's poor, I don't know, I'm just, I, I saw it as a very telling sign of how much more work the Academy needs to do. Yeah. yeah. Lauren, do you have thoughts you want to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we said when we talked about Three Billboards, I probably liked that movie the most of like any of us. But even so, I I, I think that it's absolutely true. I don't I don't think that Rockwell, in terms of the performance that he gave, I don't think that Rockwell deserved it over, say, Richard Jenkins. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, or or Michael Stolberg. I absolutely agree with that. I'm like, why he was in three <laughs> movies this year? How did he not get nominated for one of them? It's possible he split the vote with himself and got himself knocked out. Because that yeah, happens, I... because you can only be nominated for one performance. And so if you had people voting for him for The Shape of Water and people voting for him for Call Me By Your Name, then, you know, he ends up not getting yeah. enough votes in either way. Yeah, I, I know. So 
Rockwell, I, I feel like is he's very likable, and he is a great actor. I mean, there's no question of that. And I'm I'm fine with him as as an actor winning an award and getting an Oscar for a performance. It was the wrong performance. I mean, I, it was predictable. Everybody kind of was like, yeah, he's going to win. He won. It was unsurprising. He gave a very sweet speech. But, I I mean, it's not... It really wasn't an Oscar-worthy performance, I don't think. When he was speaking, my roommate leans, leans closer to the TV and she goes, isn't that the weird guy from Galaxy Quest? <laughs> <laughs> and I was well, like, yes, people... and I liked him better in that movie. <laughs> And several people basically said they're just like, I choose to believe that this is Sam Rockwell winning for Galaxy Quest. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, like, you know, and others others were like, Oh no, 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 this this is for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. It's like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. We can, we'll just we'll ignore the fact of what he won for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My husband was all about uh Moon. He was like, uh, yeah. yeah. He's like, he yeah. should have got something for that. I'm like, well, not for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so I did. I did appreciate the Phil Seymour Hoffman shout out. That made me sad, and and that was nice. Yeah. But um, so then uh, Kimmel said, "If your speech runs over this year, you won't hear music. You'll hear this." And then Lakeith Stanfield, dressed in his garb from Get Out, runs out on stage yelling, "Get out! Get out!" And I don't know, was that a good joke or was that like kind of lame? Because I couldn't decide. Uh, I think it could. It- it was one of those that was both in a way. Like, <laughs> okay, okay. I, yeah. I love Lakeith, and I I love his character in Get Out. I love Lakeith and everything he does. So I was a little bit amused, but I can see why others were like, eh, no, no, that's dumb. <laughs> I feel like maybe the setup wasn't was a little clunky. Maybe that's why it was. It kind of fell a little bit. I don't know. I don't. Something about it just felt off. But I thought yeah. that it was a funny joke. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, Gal Gadot and Army Hammer present best makeup and hairstyling. They're ridiculously good looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is why they they use them. <laughs> yep. Like it's not even fair how beautiful she is. But anyway, so they present the. Oscar for Best Makeup and Hairstyling to Darkest Hour for Transforming Sirius Black into Winston Churchill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Any thoughts on that? That was a pretty, I mean, that category is always just kind of, I really wish they would expand it to five. I don't know why they're so stubborn about keeping it at three. Why, Why was Shape of Water not nominated for that? I think there was some confusion because the costume that um, Doug Jones wears is partly costume, partly makeup, and partially visual effects. And so I think there was just some category confusion on how really to rank that. And so that's my that's my suspicion. I don't know for sure, but I mean, uh, I don't even remember who the rest of the nominees were for that one. But um, it was Victoria and Abdul and Wonder. Oh yeah, then yeah, I could see why Darkest Hour got it. I mean, I did not really, the whole time I was watching it, I didn't see it as, you know, this is Gary Oldman portraying Winston Churchill. I totally believed I was watching Winston Churchill up there. And then I walked out and I was like, wow, because I saw him, they did an event at the Queen Mary here in LA. Yeah, I was there. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, And yeah, you see the comparison between Gary Oldman and then what they turned him into and you're like, whoa. Uh Uh-huh. So, I mean, in that, with those nominees, yeah, out of those 
choices, I would definitely have picked uh, Darkest Hour too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Plus, I love that video that his wife took of him backstage, like when he's in costume dancing to James Brown. It's so funny. I love that right after you just gotten made up. But anyway, okay. So, um, Eva Marie Saint, legend, comes to the stage and says that she's older than the Academy by three years and nine months. Four months. Four months. Um, it was really cute. She looks damn good for 93. Yeah, really. She's amazing. I would never have guessed that she was 93. No, when she said that, I was like, are you, you're, you're <laughs> joking. You've got yeah. to be kidding me. And she's like, <laughs> she's very present also, you know, she's, she's very much all there. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. did the same thing. I ran over. I was like, she's what? She's how old? It's <laughs> like, right. no. I mean, but that could be said by, you know, uh, I'm sure this will be addressed later, but Jane Fonda. Uh, mm-hmm. come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jane Fonda pays a lot of money to look that good, but. <laughs> <laughs> still, but, uh... still. That's, that's but, a yeah, good bone no, structure but there. Like... It's true, yeah. The, the, yeah, she has a lot of good stuff to work with, so. Um, okay, so then Eva Marie Saint presents costume design to Mark Bridges from Phantom Thread, which, of course, made sense. I mean, the whole movie is about costuming, and really, that's the only thing about it worth watching, so. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, Mark Bridges' speech was very short because he apparently really wanted that jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts? No? No, I thought, I mean, his speech was the greatest because it really was short and he was just like, okay, thanks, yeah. bye. And yeah. I agree with the costumes. Like, that's, that was the purpose of the movie because mm-hmm. everything else about it was t- bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was. Um, okay, so then Kimmel makes the joke that since the show... Well, I don't even know if this was a joke. This might have been accurate. Since the show started 37 minutes ago, Black Panther made another $48 million. <laughs> so um, do we think that Black Panther started its Oscar campaign last night? I hope so. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's there were so many references, jokes, comments about Black Panther. I was just like, oh, yeah, they're they're starting it now. They're saying you guys need to remember this moment. Remember how important this movie is and how great it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so. and I follow the Disney team, like a lot of the Disney team on Instagram and stuff. They were out there like full on with their clients working. And uh, I mean, that red carpet moment that I just talked about with uh, Lupita, Denai and Winston. Yeah. They're, it's undeniable, and if they don't score some nominations beyond costumes, I I don't know. I might riot. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean that 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 could be really interesting. You know, there was so much talk when when Get Out came out, and everyone was like, "Oh, it might get nominated for for Best Picture," and you're like, "No, it's not gonna. It's a horror film." You know, but so there's the barriers are all breaking, both in terms of. Uh, not just in terms of race and, and gender, et cetera, but also in terms of genre. Mm-hmm. And getting Black Panther in there, uh, even just to get for to get nominated for a Best Picture or, you know, uh, Best Director, uh, I don't know where it would go in for Best Actor, but that would be really interesting. Yeah, it would be. Um, this is something he said later on in the show, but I liked when, since we're on the topic now, <laughs> Kimmel at one point made the joke about how um, he could he could remember a time when Hollywood said that superhero movies led by women and people of color wouldn't make any money. And he goes, "Of course, of course I, remember I remember that time because it was last March." March. 
<laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I actually commented on that. I was like, last March, try like a week ago. Because <laughs> we're still going yeah. through it. I mean, we had Wonder Woman, we had Black Panther, and still we're, we're getting those doubts because it's like, well, it's a superhero movie. Of course they're going to open to big numbers. It's like, no, that's not guaranteed, for one. Um, two... Where are the rest of them? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where's well, let's just compare Black Panther's three weeks to Justice League's twelve weeks, <laughs> and <laughs> or actually, let's compare Black Panther's opening weekend to Justice League's entire theatrical run. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, I, I think the tide is turning, but it it does unfortunately take time. <laughs> Sorry, you were gonna say something, Lauren? No, I I was just gonna say just um. Like, like you're saying, comparing comparing the way that some su- superhero movies have done as compared to the way that Black Panther and Wonder Woman have just, like, busted everything. Uh, yeah. That's that's pretty spectacular. And that is not just on the back of, this is a superhero movie, therefore it does well. That's not that's not what's going on here. I mean, they I, I was talking with some people a couple nights ago, and there were pe- they still could not get into screenings of Black Panther because it was sold out. They hadn't seen Black Panther because it kept on being sold out in theaters in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like, it's not just about the fact that there's representation in these films. It's the fact that they're damn good movies. Yeah. And that's why people keep wanting to see them again and again. And that's why they're making so much money. Movies make money when people want to see them more than once. Not when people go a bunch, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of people go the first weekend. So, um, okay. So then Greta Gerwig and Laura Dern present best documentary feature. You are now dating. Love those two. What's that? They're now dating, obviously. <laughs> they're so amazing. I love them both. <laughs> Um, Icarus wins best documentary feature. Did you guys see that one? Nope. I did not. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's on Netflix. Watch it. It's, it's great. Um, I actually thought that Agnes Varda would win in the end, but, um, this was a tight category. Actually. I think all five of the nominees were very worthy. So it was, it was, that was a tough one. Um, and then, Traji P. Henson introduces Mary J. Blige, who sang her song Mighty River from Mudbound. Just to remind you all, Mary J. Blige was the first person in history to be nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Best Original Song in the same year. And she killed it. She was so good. Thoughts? Oh, yeah. I love Mary. Chills. Chills. That's so great. Um, They show a montage, first montage of the night. Uh, iconic images from great movies with a medley of scores. That was about it. Let's see. <laughs> and then uh, then Kimmel says the first Oscars were held in 1929 across the street at the Hollywood Ro- or at the Roosevelt Hotel. And they actually gave out two awards for best picture, which is kind of what we did last year. <laughs> so <laughs> he made a lot of jokes about that last year. Um, I mean, last night. Uh, so then Ansel Elgort and oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher her name. Aiza? Gonzalez? Oh yeah. Aiza. Aiza. Okay. Ansel Elgort and Aiza Gonzalez present the sound categories. Um, for the first time, I believe ever sound editing and sound mixing were exactly the same nominated films. They have different people nominated because they are two different things. Um, but the films were the same nominees and both awards went to Dunkirk. Which, uh, that that was actually a good place for Dunkirk to win. Because the sound in that movie is phenomenal. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. 
<laughs> um, let's see. Then Lupita Nyong'o and Kumail Nanjiani present the next award. Uh, she says, we're two people you all know, but can't ever say their names. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Kumail says, my actual given Pakistani name is Chris Pine. <laughs> I love their bit. I absolutely yeah, love yeah. their bit. Yeah. And I, I, I was on that boat of give us this rom-com when they yes. were like up there. I was like, yeah, I would. Yeah. I would totally go. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. They were great. I love them. Then, So they present production design to The Shape of Water. Yay! That movie is so damn beautiful. This was like not even a surprise for it to win. Yeah, it deserved it. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That was the first woohoo moment for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was so happy for that one. Um, So then... um, Eugenio Derbez? Is that Eugenio Derbez, uh huh. Okay. He introduces Gael Garcia Bernal, Miguel, and Natalia Lafourcade singing two different renditions of Remember Me from Coco. <laughs> and it was. So, well, what did you think of their performances? Oh, God. Uh, so uh, this is where I have to, like, uh, Eugenio Derbez is like a Mexican national treasure. Um, he's trying to do the crossover thing here in, in the U.S. And he's pretty much had a couple hits where because he, he produces and directs and creates bilingual movies. So that mm-hmm. was huge significance, first off. And the fact okay. that he introduced Coco, the second I heard that guitar strum, tears. Just tears fell down my face and couldn't stop. <laughs> because... Um, well, one, I remembered the movie, and that was the exact moment that made me cry, like, just nonstop. And then, at the same time, uh, being of um, Mexican background and Latin in the U.S., I never imagined hearing uh, the Spanish guitar up on that stage, for one. For two, the stage full of just... Latin goodness, the folklorico, Miguel, um, and then right after Gael got off the stage, and I was overwhelmed with just all this tingly happiness, and I was so happy, so happy. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you're on here today, because you gave me some information I didn't even know about. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that about Eugenio, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's actually starring, um, I think it comes out next month or the month after. He's the he's the gender switched portion. Well, obviously Anna Ferris and Eugenio are doing yes. Overboard. So he, I guess, would be Goldie Hawn's character because it's a mm-hmm. gender switch. So that's him. But last year he had something um, called How to Be a Latin Lover, and it actually like broke box office records here in the U.S. because it's a bilingual movie. And it directed and starred a Latin guy. And then Selma Hayek was in it. Uh, yeah, so he's incredible. And I would be definitely watching out for him because his star will is starting to rise here in the U.S. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I, cool. I didn't – I remember when How to Be a Latin Lover came out last year. And I didn't really know him from anything before that. But I remember being really surprised at what a big hit it was. So. Yeah, no, he did one other movie in the U.S. Again, another bilingual one. 
Um, it was called Instructions Not Included. But prior to that, I mean, he's like he's a Mexican icon. Uh, you can go talk to anybody in the Mexican-American community, and everybody knows him and his children. Because he has um, what his oldest daughter is actually also starting to transition into American movies. Uh, her name is Aislinn Derbez. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would watch out for them. Okay, awesome. Cool. Thank you. All right, so then Rita Moreno presents Best Foreign Language Film wearing the same dress that she wore in 1962 when she won her Academy Award. And the Oscar went to a fantastic woman from Chile. Perfect. <laughs> I, so I, like, I, I am a diehard Rita Moreno stan. That is the first, when I was seven years old, she was the first character I ever could see myself in um, when I watched West Side Story. And then to introduce, uh, well, to announce the winning uh, a fantastic woman. The for us in the Latino community, it's a huge, huge deal. Uh, I know it's a huge deal for the you know the transgender community here in the U.S., but for Latinos, we are constantly fighting with our own culture to be more inclusive um, because of its patriarchal history. Even our language is masculine. Like uh, I explained it to somebody else. Uh, a week ago where, yeah, I could be with a group of girlfriends and say amigas, but the second one guy enters the conversation, the language automatically goes to male. It's amigos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, French so is that way too. the fact that this is uh, the foreign language film was from Argentina and it represents a transgender woman and it was introduced by this like Latin American icon. It's it was a huge deal. Like it, it's recognition and acceptance, and it was an like overall and just an honor to be on that stage with Rita, you know. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting chills just talking about it. <laughs> well, and I believe it was Chile's first time winning this award too. Yeah, it's huge. So yeah, that's a big yeah. It's exciting and it's a great movie. So um, next we had. Last year's Best Supporting Actor, Mahershala Ali, presenting Best Supporting Actress this year. And it went to Allison Janney for I, Tanya, who began her speech by saying, I did it all by myself, <laughs> which was funny. Lauren, what did you think of this one? I, you know, we all kind of expected it. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we most most people were like, yeah, Allison Janney is going to win. I would have loved for Laurie Metcalf to pull it out and to just like, you know, take that Oscar. I think she, I, I think that it, her character was more complex than, than Allison Janney's who also gives a yeah. great performance anyways. But the, the best supporting actress category was actually one of those where I was like, I would be okay with any of these people winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think Allison Janney is a great actress and she gave a great performance. So it's hard to be like, oh, I'm mad about this. I, I just, there, there was that little part of me that was like, oh, Laurie Metcalf, please. Yeah, I know. I love Laurie. I really was hoping that she would get it. But Allison is great. And I just think of, I mean, she's had a lot more of a film career than Laurie Metcalf has. And so it's pretty cool to think about like, she was great in Juno. She was so funny in 10 things I hate about you and stuff like that. And so it's like, this is, this is pretty cool to see her win an Oscar. Yolanda, did you have thoughts on it? Um, yeah, no, I, I actually, I agree with the fact, like I would have been fine with either one of 
those ladies winning. They were all awesome performances, even especially um, like uh, yeah, Allison Janning, Laurie Metcalf, Mary J. Blige, Octavia Spencer. Like, uh, I think it, she deserved it. Um, I think that I, regardless of who got it, they were all deserving of the nomination. And I would have been happy for any one of them, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Okay, so then the next part was the, I would say, probably the most awkward part of the show. And that is when Kimmel introduced Mark Hamill, Oscar Isaac, and Kelly Marie Tran and BB-8, who are all great and adorable. And I love any moment that we get to just bask in Star Wars-ness. But their bit just felt really weird and and stunted and awkward. Um, think okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. So oh yeah, yeah. It just was super weird. I love Oscar Isaac, so any chance I can see him is wonderful. <laughs> but I was like, what is this? And I, I kind of felt like they even were like, this is kind of gimmicky, but we're gonna smile and go through it. I felt like Oscar Isaac was telling the truth when he said BB-8 was the only one that showed up to rehearsal. <laughs> That's how it Yeah, came I totally across. believe that. But again, <laughs> give me Oscar Isaac anyway, anyhow, and I will be there. <laughs> oh yeah. And Kelly Marie Tran and Mark Hamill, as far as I'm concerned. I love them all. So it just was a little bit of a weird moment. And yeah. then it was made even more awkward because then they had to present animated short film to Dear Basketball and now Kobe Bryant has a fucking Oscar and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> Sorry, I have feelings. Uh, are, are your feelings associated with the the uh, rape allegations against him? Uh, maybe a little bit in the Me Too year. It's kind of weird. But also yeah. just the fact, like, even taking that out of it, it's so annoying that Kobe Bryant wins for this little movie where he's just talking about his feelings about basketball. And out of all the five nominations, uh, nominated animated films, that was definitely, like, the bottom of the barrel as far as all of them. It was number five in terms of quality, story. Like, there were other ones that were beautifully animated. They were really interesting. And But no, they have to give it to Kobe Bryant because, oh, boo-hoo, he retired from basketball. Like, who cares? Go away. I, I semi-believe that, uh, that like a lot of the Oscar voters did not actually watch many of the shorts. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably true, which is really funny because the animated shorts if you watch all five of those it takes about 30 minutes of your time see they're they're all pretty short this year yeah i i just i i i there's absolutely no reason why i would suspect this i just do oh yeah no uh, i absolutely like they're, agree they're just you. like oh i know that name oh kobe Bryant. okay give it to him like i i yeah um i thought it was a little bit interesting i had a friend that covered the shorts nominations and Basically, he says he's covered it every year. And this year is the only year where people were clamoring over each other because Kobe Bryant was there. Uh, so I think uh, yeah. that's kind of what happened. It's like, you know, film people were not phased by, you know, directors, actors, whatever. Put an athlete in and we become like total stands. Like, just, oh, my God. And yeah. that's partially, I believe, why he won. I haven't seen any of them, but I have really good critic friends that called Dear Basketball, like, terrible. Just terrible. It's, it, yeah. It's only about 
oh, we love Kobe, and thanks for all the 20 years of memories, the last four of which were really bad years. But whatever, that's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so Oscar, Mark, Kelly, and BBA also announced Best Animated Feature. And um, Yolanda, why don't you take this one? Wait, was that? <laughs> Best Animated Feature. Why don't you take this one? What one? Why don't you Coco! tell us? Coco! <laughs> Coco! I, like, shot up on my chair. I was so happy. Um, because I know there was a, a, what the breadwinner was nominated, and it was an equally yeah. good contender. But, I, I mean, I, I put this on my Facebook page, and it, it just means so much, especially in the year 2017, that... Um, like, the Latin community is going through so much right now, even though it's, yeah, obviously it's animated, but the recognition and that a big studio backed it, and it was so, such a Mexican story, such a, like, woven into the Latino culture, and uh, and then it's got this award, like, yeah, I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it, because it, it really does mean so much, and, like, as a child growing up in the U.S., I didn't have this and I got I got to share this with my daughter and to show you know we're not terrible people that everyone out there says we are we have a beautiful family and a beautiful background and yeah it means a lot so I'm very emotional about it well now you're making me cry and we're just gonna let your thoughts stand and move forward because yeah. I just neither neither of us can say anything remotely as interesting as that so Absolutely. thank you congratulations so it's amazing I love that film um, next, we had Daniela Vega introducing Sufjan Stevens singing Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name. And I believe that that is the first time that a transgender actor or actors or anybody has presented anything at the Academy Awards. So that was a huge moment for Daniela Vega. And then the song was, was just gorgeous. So it was just a great moment there. Um, sorry, I'm going to try to hurry this up a little bit now because we're running out of time. Um, then from there, Gina Rodriguez and Tom Holland presented the award for Best Visual Effects to Blade Runner 2049. Um, it's a crime that the Planet of the Apes team are 0 for 3 in this category, and it really sucks that they lost to Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. But I will admit, the visuals in that movie are, are pretty all, all right. Yeah, they're fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey next presents the award for best film editing to Lee Smith from Dunkirk, which that was a whole big thing. Like, could Baby Driver pull it off? And I had kind of leaned both ways. Like, I was just like, not sure, Baby Driver or Dunkirk. But in the end, I really thought, nope, I think Dunkirk's going to do it. I think the, the strong support at BAFTA, at the um, Ace Awards, so... It had a lot of support. so And Dunkirk is, is pretty interesting the way it's edited together. Any mm -hmm. thoughts? Um, no. Mo most of these technical awards, I admit, I, I other than the people that are people like, well, and, and we're going to get to them, uh, that are like getting what are basically lifetime Oscars. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, like, I, I, don't, me, I don't have I don't strong, have strong feelings, feelings about them. About them. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm just, I'm just a little surprised that Baby Driver didn't come away with any of that because the editing kind of made that movie. So 
the thing about yeah the thing about the, the about baby driver is that was the thing that stood out to me when i was watching that movie and i never notice editing that's not the first thing i think about when i think about a film but it stood out for that one but not in because it was badly done but because it was so well done that it yeah. was just like wow this is really cool but dunkirk guy had a very similar reaction so i mean it was very much a coin toss i think on that one um, next, they took a group of people to crash the screening of A Wrinkle in Time next door at the Chinese Theater. Um, and they went, and Kristen Lopez was particularly overjoyed to watch Army Hammer shooting hot dogs out of a cannon at unsuspecting <laughs> audience members. <laughs> and my favorite part was when Jimmy and she, he was with Gal Gadot and he, they walk into the theater and he goes, wow, it, there's a strong aroma of marijuana in this room. She goes, it's true. And then she stops. She goes, not that I would know. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cute. And then Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph are the best presenters of the night. They, they were so funny together. Um, they make great jokes um, referring to each other's movies peeing from a zipline, taking a crap in the street. <laughs> Pretty great. Um, so let's see. They present documentary short film. And, oh, right before they were, they present it, Tiffany says, Hi, Meryl. <laughs> I want you to be my mama one day. Just one day. I want to get that money. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, so great. Um, but they present the award to Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405, which... I have been in many traffic jams on the 405, and if that is heaven, I do not want to go. <laughs> but I, but I, I made a similar comment on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, look, I've been on traffic jams on the 405 almost daily. Is heaven by the airport or something? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it is a good movie, though, and I do hope that people will watch it. It's a it's very interesting uh, story about this really talented artist, and so I hope that you will watch it. Um, and then they also present, Tiffany and Maya also present live action short to The Silent Child, which I think surprised a lot of people because everyone thought it was going to DeKalb Elementary, which is about a, a young man who comes into a school with a gun, like preparing to shoot up the school and he ends up being kind of stopped by, uh, um, a school secretary who's in the office and she's talking him down. And so like, it's so topical that I really thought it was going to go to that one, but it went instead to the silent child, which is about trying to get services for a girl who was born deaf and whose parents are just like, Nope, we want her to live like she is a hearing person. And they just refuse to acknowledge what she really needs. Mm -hmm. And they refuse to, to provide her anything that they think would make her different. So it's very interesting collection of short films this year, cool. actually. Um, did anybody have any thoughts on documentary or live action short, either of you? Not, not really. Other than the fact that I know that people were talking about um, the the woman who won the the live action short signing her Rachel speech. Shenton, yeah, signing mm -hmm. her speech and how important that was. And I know that a lot of people in um, in the deaf community were discussing that and I'm seeing tweets online, et cetera, talking about that this is like, this is a major thing. I think it's interesting that we keep on coming up, coming to these points, you know, you're saying first transgendered person to present at the Oscars, the first, and we're getting a lot of these firsts that on the one hand, you're like, how have we gotten to 2018 and these are firsts, but at least we're there. 
Right. At least we're yeah. getting it may that have taken 90 years, but it took 90 years and now we're there and hopefully this will continue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's good to see. Yeah. Um, so then next, Dave Chappelle introduced Common. He and Andre Day saying Stand Up For Something, their nominated song for Marshall, which was co-written by Diane Warren. And um, they did great, too. They, they were awesome. Um, and then... Ashley Judd, Annabella Shiora, and Salma Hayek Pinal um, talked about Time's Up. They talked about Trailblazers. It was so, it was a good moment. I'm really glad that they gave them that moment. It broke my heart when Annabella Shiora said, hi, it's been a while. And I was just yeah. like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. Um, and then they, they introduced a, a montage of interviews and it had some film clips too, but it was a lot of people talking about inclusion, about representation, about Me Too, about all kinds of things. And I thought it was a really, a really powerful, a powerful moment. And I'm glad that they included it in the show. Uh, Yolanda or Lauren, what did you think? Oh, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm especially appreciative that they included Selma up there because, uh, you know, it shows that they're inclusive of more than just the, you know, like the white feminism thing that a lot of debate goes on about on Twitter. Like, well, you know, why didn't we believe so many of Bill Cosby's accusers in the past? It's like, mm, mm -hmm. well, um, and then, the yeah, the montage, I mean, it's it was uplifting, but at the same time, you know, it's still sending the message. We still got work to do. And um, this is a great step. But let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it goes back to that. How are we still? How are we still having this conversation? You feel like we shouldn't. This, this should have been over and done with. We should have far greater diversity, far more inclusion, far. You know why? Why is the default? I I loved what. Um, oh, and I can't remember his name, and I'm blanking on it, and I'm sorry. The guy who wrote and appeared in the Big Sick. Kamal uh, Nanjiani. Yes, yeah, I loved you. what he said. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and him, him saying like, you know, my entire life I have been watching movies, my favorite movies were with straight white men and I loved watching them and I still love watching them. And now they get to watch me and identify with me. And that was a, a wonderful and very succinct and funny way of putting it. I'm just like, yeah, it's your turn. You get to identify with the people who have been forced to identify with you their entire lives. And that's, that's okay. Many of my, you know, all of us were just like, oh, my favorite film is made or, or produced or stars a straight white guy. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Now it's our turn. Finally. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. His, his quote, I wrote it down. It was, straight white dudes can watch movies about me and relate. It's not that hard. I've done it my whole life. Yeah. It, it was great. And yeah. It was a perfect moment. And he's absolutely right. So, and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with loving a Spielberg movie just because he's a white dude. Like, I love Spielberg, but you know what? I also love Greta Gerwig. And I also love Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah. So. Okay, so then Chadwick Boseman and Margot Robbie present Best Adapted Screenplay to James Ivory for Call Me By Your Name. He is officially the oldest person ever to win an Academy Award. He will be 90 in June, so... This is pretty awesome. It's his first win. He's been nominated four times. He did stuff like Howard's End, Remains of the Day. And so this is a pretty big deal for him. It's very exciting. Um, and, I mean, that's a great adaptation. So I haven't... Okay. 
to be perfectly fair. I haven't read the book. But the script is very good for the film. So. I read the book. Yeah. Did you? I read the book. I thought it was a great adaptation. It did leave out some things that kind of would explain. Well, there's a few scenes that I felt could have been included um, that weren't. And I don't know why the ending was left off. There's a huge part. It's not, I mean, it's only like 10 pages, but it's significant in the story and that was not included. So, but having watched the film and read the book, um, I do think it was a lovely adaptation um, and it, it, ha it does tell a whole story. I just wish it was inclusive of the end. And I'm not going to say what the end was for those who haven't read it. <laughs> You're just going to have to go read it. <laughs> or wait for the sequel that's coming out in a couple of years. So. <laughs> um, so then Nicole Kidman, who needs no co-presenter, presented the award for Best Original Screenplay in one of the greatest moments of the night to Jordan Peele for Get Out. Yeah. He got a massive standing ovation. And then he said... You guys are going to ruin my chance at the jet ski. <laughs> Which was so funny. Um, his speech was great. The For me, the moment, like, I mean, it was the whole thing was awesome. But then seeing the shocked look on his face as he's walking off the stage, like he was so stunned that that had just happened. And it just, it was like, it was such a, a great moment. So Lauren, what did you... What were you thinking or feeling there? I mean, it's it's incredibly well deserved. Like, and yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Again, I'm so it it's really great that the Academy is recognizing incredibly politically minded horror films. I mean, that's what Get yeah. Out is. It's a genre film, and it is deeply political. And it is you know we we keep on talking about it, these kinds of films being important. They are important. And him winning that, you know, I would have loved to see Get Out take home more last night, honestly. But for what it got, it he he really deserved it. And he was like like you said, that look on his face of just like, oh my god, I won an Oscar. What the hell? Like <laughs> it was it was yeah. very cool. It was great to see that. And, you know, I I can't wait to see what else he's gonna do because this is one of his first films. It is so... his very first film. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I I can't wait. I actually, I yeah. thought he did Yolanda. Keanu also. Like, he did not write or or he did not direct oh. it. I think he co-wrote it, but he did okay. not direct it. Yeah, no, it. but yeah. I was so happy to see him win. Like, I, I've been rooting for Get Out since I saw it last February, and nobody was listening to me. That's why I kept bringing it <laughs> well, up. Apparently, like, they were. You can't not watch this. This movie says so much and does so much, and while entertaining you as well and so yeah that look when he walked off the stage especially when it looked like he kind of bit his uh knuckles like oh shit i did that <laughs> that was everything like it, i wish he had done that on stage because my god like just everything right there yeah i'm so happy for him he tweeted last night i just won an oscar wtf <laughs> Uh, and you know he means that too like seriously so great uh yeah it was a great moment i love it um okay so then wes studi who is 
awesome. I love him. He's a great Native American actor who's been in a million things. And even if you don't know his name, you definitely know his face. Um, he actually talked about his experiences in joining the military and going off to Vietnam. He's a veteran and talked about how much he loves films and filmmakers about military themes. And then they showed a montage of military movies. And Kimmel said, on behalf of the Academy, I would like to apologize to all of our military servicemen and women for including Matt Damon in that montage. And I was like, finally a Matt Damon joke. That was the only one. Um, so then Sandra Bullock was the next presenter. Sorry, I just looked at the time. we got to hurry this up. So Sandra Bullock uh, is the next presenter. She's doing uh, cinematography. <laughs> and she's like squinting she's like oh it's really bright it's bright can we turn this down a little bit can you like take me back to my 40s and I was like oh my gosh I forgot that woman is in her 50s it's crazy um and then she said thank goodness I'm not presenting with Gal Gadot because it would be like looking in a mirror for her <laughs> she's so great I love Sandra Bullock um and then Roger Deakins won his first Academy Award 14th times a charm <laughs> <laughs> and all of the Roger Deakins fan club rejoiced there was great much rejoicing on twitter as well, well but uh, i mean that's, he's yeah th that's <laughs> this is a great win yeah it's a great it's a lifetime oscar though it that's is what, like yeah. i kept on saying to myself just because like, i i really i there was a part of me that was really hoping rachel morrison was gonna win uh yeah and she, and i I, kind of, I knew it was a long shot she didn't you know it was like fine it's his lifetime oscar Go for it. I hope that we, I hope that that's the last we hear about Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> I, I think it will be. But here are the other things that he has been nominated for. The Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, Kundun, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, No Country for Old Men, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, The Reader, True Grit, Skyfall, Prisoners, Unbroken, Sicario. So, yeah. He, I mean, he's done movies. Like, you've seen his work. You absolutely, if you've ever seen a movie, you've seen something that he's done, you know? And so it is a big deal. But yes, it, he won. I mean, Blade Runner is beautifully shot. Yeah. I will I will concede that. But he won this because he'd never won before. Yeah. If he if he had already, if he was three-time Academy Award winner Roger Deakins, it would have been a different race, I think. Yeah, it, it's, I, of all of the things that Blade Runner 2049 could have taken home, I'm glad that it was that one. Um, that's fine with me. Fine. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. Um, and let's move on. So Zendaya introduces Kayala Settle singing This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Such an amazing moment, which I, we were on a live chat on a word circuit and I said, now tell me how that song does not win best original <laughs> song. Wow. Maybe so if then... the movie had actually been better. Hey, True. the music yeah. is amazing, yeah, music, regardless of the quality of that the film. The music deserved a better movie. Period. Like, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, that performance. Um, oh God, she's amazing. She's amazing. Like I went, I, I as soon as I saw her, I googled, uh, I YouTubed everything she's ever done. <laughs> she uh -huh. is an amazing person, and honestly, as much as I greatly dislike that movie. There's something on YouTube that I think everybody should watch, and that is the one of the rehearsals for that song, and it talks about how she was kind of afraid to let go and step forward at the moment she's supposed to, 
And she actually, like, during rehearsal, she broke down in tears, and it was Hugh Jackman, she had to hold his hand, and then he started crying, and meanwhile, <laughs> she's singing this beautiful song, and you could just feel every emotion at that moment, but... Well, what I love about that song, too, is I interviewed Pasek and Paul a couple weeks ago, and what I didn't realize was that originally the mo- the moment where that song happens was supposed to be for Tom Thumb, and they were trying to make a song work for him, and they just were having a hard time, Pasek and Paul were, and they finally were like, because they'd been doing all these workshops and stuff, they'd been working with people, and Kaala was there for all these workshops that they'd been doing, and they were like, we know what she can do and we need to do something with that voice because she's amazing. And so they wrote that song based on what she was capable of and based on the kind of work that she had been able to do up to that point. And so that actually necessitated changing Letty's character in the movie and giving her a more substantial role than she had so that that moment would really work Mm -hmm. for her. And I just, I love that story. I think it's, it's so great, but, um, uh, then Christopher Walken presents the award for original score to Alexandre Desplat for The Shape of Water. And I was very happy because that music is amazing. It is. Yes, that was a good one. So gorgeous. And then Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who will soon be appearing together in Mary Poppins Returns, uh, presented Best Original Song. And Yolanda, what won Best Original Song? <laughs> Coco, remember me! <laughs> I'm like the Coco spokesperson because, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, uh, for me, it was either Remember Me or This Is Me. Like, well, mm-hmm. I, I'm a Broadway nerd, so it, Pasek and Paul, I've loved forever. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a chance to see Dear Evan Hansen. No, I'm seeing it this summer when it goes Oh, on. my God! I, I, so I got to see it I'm with dying. Ben so Platt, and oh, I can't oh. even tell you. I sat it all the way in the back, last row, corner. I was just, uh, the music just stands alone. I mean, obviously the actors add to it and everything, but uh, if they could just write everything for the rest of time, uh, I'm happy with it. But obviously, I'm also the same way with Bobby and Kristen Lopez, um, you know, him mm-hmm. with the Book of Mormon, and uh, then when they did together Frozen, um, they're amazing lyricists, so I was going to be happy either way. Like, I don't think that the other songs, uh, Sorry, Mary J. Blige, I Love You, but uh, I don't think the other songs really stood a chance between those two. So when yeah. Coco yeah. won, especially yeah. with that song, uh, like I said, that's the one that set me over the edge each time I saw the movie. I was, yeah, it was it was a great moment. <laughs> Well, and here's a fun fact. Robert Lopez is now the first person ever to double EGOT. He has two Emmys, two Grammys, two Oscars, and two Tonys. Wow. Yes! First person ever to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. That's great. Um, Okay, so then Jennifer Garner introduces the In Memoriam segment. Eddie Vedder sings Room at the Top. And it is crazy. Every year I know more and more of the names that end up in that. In memoriam section it just is so sad every time um and then this was an unusual thing that happened emma stone presented the award not for best actor as she won best actress last year no she presented the award for best director 
to Guillermo del Toro. Yay. But, uh, which was great. I love how she was introducing the nominees and she said, these four men and Greta Gerwig <laughs> are the nominees for Best Director. Uh, um, but yeah. Yeah, that, I have issues with that presentation. Great. I had issues with her presentation because uh, for yeah. me it was twofold. It was, uh, she. it seemed like she was trying to bite on what Natalie Portman did. And two, mm-hmm. she completely undermined the fact that there were two men of color up there. Um, yeah. Like, they face just as much uh, uh, struggles as women do um, because they're minorities. <clears throat> and kind of grouping them in and just, oh, here's four men, kind of mm-hmm. is dismissive of that. At least, yeah. in my opinion. No, I agree. That's a really good point. Um I also just, I personally was not a fan of the fact that they had her present Best Director instead of Best Actor, because it felt to me like they were just doing that to kind of give Casey Affleck a little bit of saving face moment, and I I was not a fan of that either. They should have just gone ahead and had someone else present Best Actress, but let her still present Best Actor. And, yeah, uh, they, they played all that, they shuffled everything around because mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, so, but let's talk about positive things. Guillermo del Toro won Best Director. This is so amazing. This is so awesome. Like, I mean, he's just, uh, he's such a great director. He, it was a beautiful moment. I cried. I'm not going to even lie. I totally cried during his speech. Um, Yolanda, Lauren, what did you guys think? What were you, what were you saying to yourselves? Uh, it was it was wonderful. Like I I was there were there were three people in that mix that I was like, okay, any one of these three I'm fine with. Um and and he was one of them and I was like, yes. Yes, it's so again, it's one of those that you when when the Oscar goes to someone who really does just completely deserve it for a film that he deserves it. Like I know people were saying that oh this is really for Pan's Labyrinth or whatever else. Just like no, uh, this no. is for Shape of Water. Exactly. This is very much for Shape of Water. This film actually does deserve it, and and he deserves for for the work that he did on that. It was rem- it was remarkable. This was uh, someone also pointed out that this was a film he could have done Pacific Rim two. Mm-hmm. And he said, "No, I'm gonna go do my 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 crazy monster movie, my passion he, project." Yeah, yeah. And he did it, and he made a brilliant film, and he won best director for it, and, and he won an Academy Award. That's that's fucking awesome. And he was he was lovely. He just seems to be. I think that I can't remember whether it was during best picture or during best director that Greta Gerwig like mouthed, "I love him" or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just like, yes, yes, we're all you, we're all you. We love him, and we're glad to finally see this happen. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he's such a great director, and it's it's wonderful to see him get that recognition. He is, and you know, I just want to say too, like, um, sorry, I have dogs barking. Hold on a second. Um, but one of the things too that was interesting to me. And not really surprising at all, given what you see of him on, you know, different award shows and things. But when I was interviewing different people from Shape of Water, like I talked to Dan Lawson, I talked to Sidney Wolinski, I talked to all these different people who worked, you know, the below the line folks. And they universally just loved working with Guillermo. So many of them have worked with him on multiple films and they keep coming back because they just love how respectful he is of his crew and how he is very much one that he likes to be involved, but he's not intrusive. And I just, this is such a great win for him because it sounds like he's someone who is just a dream director to work with. So, 
Yeah. Yolanda, I, what did, what did you, you think? think? I got to interview the cast and Guillermo. Oh, nice. And the cast, every single one of them, especially Doug Jones, who, you know, has a long relationship with Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, they've each done six them, movies together? Yeah. Each of them said pretty much exactly what the, his crew said, where, you know, he's very much the director, but at the same time, he lets you do what you do. He values your opinions he is a delight to work with um they each commented on how he has very particular directing styles but individualizes them to the that actor so he wouldn't direct octavia the same way he would direct you know like doug jones he and he crafts everything um the actor's all made comments on how Guillermo, when he, like, when they were starting production, he had bios written for all of their characters. So there was no question on their background or anything. Like, they knew where they were coming from, and they knew what they were going to say, and then he kind of just let them play with it. And he, I mean, I don't know how many people know this. It has been published out there, but he did not take a salary at all for this. Um, He... This was his baby. It was he when I when when I got a chance to talk to him, he said, this is me. This is my story. This is my monster. And, you know, it's a very, very personal film to him. And he is such a delight and just the nicest guy. So when he won. Yeah, I mean, on top of the whole, you know, we're it's Latino, it's La Raza and all that stuff. Just he's such a good guy. And the movie was beautiful, and he so deserved it. So, yeah. Yay, Guillermo! <laughs> yes, absolutely. Love it. Um, I love him. I, I agree with Ge- with Greta. I love him. Um, so then Helen Mirren and Jane Fonda present Best Actor. And um, they... I was going to talk about the joke they made, but eh, whatever. Uh, they, they both look great. They're both amazing. I love them. Um, I, you know, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. But anyway, I love Helen Mirren. I love Jane Fonda. They presented Best Actor to Gary Oldman. And I love this win. I know there are concerns, but I love it. I thought he was amazing in Darkest Hour. And I loved his speech, too. Yeah. Um, Yolanda? Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I kind of thought he was going to win. Um, I was kind of pulling for Daniel Kaluuya. Um, but mm-hmm. he was great in the role. I The whole problematic history, it's it's kind of like hard to wrestle with right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of those where it's complicated. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it, too. Like, cause a, pe- a couple of people have tried to, like, kind of attack me for supporting him. And, you know, yeah, he's in my Twitter biopic. Like, I have a picture with him at that Queen Mary event. And that's my Twitter profile picture. And I'm not sorry about it. But it is complicated. And I was so happy to see him win because he's been in so many movies I love and even in movies where he's not where the movie isn't that great he's always the best part of it and yet this is still the best performance of his career and I think he absolutely deserved it 
that does not mean that Daniel Kaluuya wasn't great because he was. And, you know, Denzel Washington was the best, the only good thing about his movie. And, um, and Timothy Chalamet was great too. Like this isn't saying that any of those guys weren't great, but there's just something really special about, about this one. So he, he gave a truly great performance. If you, if you're just looking at the performance, right. As a performance, yeah. he deserved it hands down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I, I do think that we have to acknowledge the fact that he there's a lot of complicated shit in the background, mm-hmm. and particularly in this time period in this year, it's it, it's a little difficult. It's a little difficult to be like, yeah, he gave a great performance, but there's also all of this other stuff that we're gonna have to talk about and uh, that we have to acknowledge, and uh, and deal with. And and I think that we've talked a lot on this podcast about all of the issues that you run into when you when you're talking about actors and directors and artists that you greatly respect and you respect their work you respect their performances the the art that they produce but at the same time we're gonna have to deal with the fact that uh, that some of these people are not always the best human beings on the planet right Uh, yeah and and oldman's one of those that on the one hand i'm like like he got me choked up as i was watching his speech because he he seemed so overwhelmed by it and so grateful for it Mm -hmm. and at the same time i'm like but i also know that you have done bad shit like it was it was it's hard it is like like yolanda said it's complicated it is it is complicated but um but he won for a great performance and yes. at least at least he didn't win just because they felt like it was time to give it to him he won in a year that he actually earned it so yeah yeah um okay so then Jennifer Lawrence and Jodie Foster play the part of Casey Affleck and present best actress <laughs> <laughs> um, Jodie Foster was on crutches and so Jennifer Lawrence says hey what happened to you and Jodie says street she I would me <laughs> <laughs> I love them that was great um, and they present the award for best actress to Frances McDormand from three billboards outside Ebbing Missouri and um, we've already talked at length about that movie and our feelings about it but Frances McDormand gave a kick ass speech y'all yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this... I, I I have a little commentary on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, like the part where she made all the women stand up in a room, um, and the whole inclusion writer, like, uh, I did, I agreed. I'm like, yeah, stand, take a look at the room. How many women of color do you see? Right. Um, I don't believe that a lot of studios understand that inclusion means not just white women, but women of color, pe- people of color. I mean, the uh, I've been reading a little bit this morning about the inclusion writer, and it's basically like the actor can set what they want. So they don't necessarily have to say like, uh, you know, it has to be like 50% women of color. They can just say it has to be inclusive of women. And the sad mm-hmm. thing is you do have to kind of specify to studios that women mean women of color, too. Um, right. Like, like I said, we, I keep saying this. We still have a ton of work to do. I like that she kind of highlight, highlighted that there were so few women in the room that were nominated or that were, you know, working in their profession there. But then when you scan the room, how many women of color did you see? I could count on my hand how many 
the camera panned to or showed. Uh, and that that I've been in that room. There's what? How many seats are there? I don't even know. But to 3, have like four hundred, I think. Yeah, to have like four or five women of color standing, working in that profession, invited by the academy to attend, it, it's a huge problem. And I'd like it to evolve beyond just saying, you know, inclusion means women. No, it's women and women of color. Because until you mm-hmm. recognize that we are also, you know, we're more disenfranchised than just general, you know, the whole women movement, which speaks to, you know, white feminism and all that stuff. We're not going to get the the ratio or the amount of women of color in the room that should be there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and uh, that's the thing, too, is like people really have to be cognizant of that. And, like, I mean, eventually it needs to get to the point where that's just normal. Like, everybody is, you know, is represented and you've got women and men of color working in these, you know, in these different jobs and things where it's not even something that you think about. It's just like, well, of course Jordan Peele is a great director for this project. Or, of course Rachel Morrison Mm -hmm. should be, you know, photographing this film or whatever. But until we get to the point where that's just how it is, we have to be very conscious and deliberate in those choices of of who gets hired. I say we as if I have any, you know, <laughs> pull in, well, in that, but, you know. Well, and I, I do think that it was important that McDermott um, said that out loud on live television. Yes. And said it to a room full of industry professionals that does kind of, you know, in in its own way, in a, in a, in a more positive way, I guess, puts them on the spot and says like you actually have the capacity and the ability to change to you know put your money where your mouth is kind of thing to actually change the way that your sets are run right so you have someone like Francis McDermott who who would be able to bring women of color along to bring um uh men of color along to actually be like okay we're going to try to get a more inclusive set mm-hmm. and that's going to be a part of my requirements if you're going to get my services and and actresses like her and actors and directors and producers actually having that pull and being like, OK, now I'm going to use my power in this industry in order to open doors. That's yeah. very important. And the fact that she was encouraging people and saying to them and, you know, and I saw like 50 articles when I opened Twitter this morning. What's an inclusion writer? <laughs> and, and just that fact essentially means that also the public now knows that this exists. The public, you know, you can't, you, the, all of those excuses of just like, well, we looked for, we looked for women of color, but there weren't any that applied. Or like, oh, well, we would have loved to have this, but. Right. No, no, no. That's, that's not an excuse anymore. And that, that visibility, I think, of that fact of the industry. Yeah. Is well, very, very important. Yeah. Well, the other thing I liked about what McDormand said in her speech was, don't just talk to us tonight at the after party. Talk yeah. to us in a couple of days, set up a meeting, invite us to your office or better yet, come to our office. And because it was just like, yeah, you can say all you want at the after party when you're still feeling the high of this show that you were just at. But when it actually matters and we're going to get ready to start working on this next project or that next production, that's when you need to actually talk about it and sit down and do something about it and but that's the other thing about this inclusion writer thing which I love that it was like the most googled term last night um 
But that's the other thing about it is it if in order for it to make a difference, everybody has to be willing to participate. You know, everybody. Like, if you have Jessica Chastain and, I don't know, Jennifer Lawrence saying they're going to do it, but then you also have someone like, you know, Frances McDormand, for example, not participating, then, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it sets up this whole, like, well, we'll go with this person because she's easier to work with or whatever, you know? Yeah. So that's the other thing. Like, everybody has to get on board in order for this to actually work and for, for it to make a difference, so. Well, and it's also putting the, it's not just putting the onus on women, it's putting the onus on men. Yeah. Of saying, like, you know, actors can do this, directors can do this, this is something that you have to say, I am going to participate in making certain that my sets are inclusive. Right. And in, in all ways. Mm-hmm. And, and for, for, for people that are actually have a great deal of power in, in the industry, that is the way that they can open those doors. And that is the way that they can actually be like, you know what, we're not just talking. We're right. not just contributing money. We're actually doing something about the way that the industry is run. Yeah, absolutely. Yolanda, any final thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's more involving the actual inclusive writer and the woman that, uh, I think she first talked about it at a TED Talk in 2014, and it was an analyzing of, I think she said there's something like between 40 and 60 characters in a movie, most of them are not speaking, uh, about 8 to 10 are speaking, which means there are all these other opportunities to include, you know, minorities and all this stuff, and it's like, that's not you know, that's not the point of inclusion. Like, we, we're right. looking for inclusive speaking roles, you know, leading roles. Like, why, as me and my friends, we call it, it's like, it kind of feels like you guys are okay saying you're inclusive. Uh, and I mean, like, the general, you know, white studio you. Uh, if you spread us around in the background like bacon bits. And yeah. we're not, that's you know, true. that's not what we are. We are, you know, we deserve leading roles. We deserve speaking roles. We deserve co-starring roles. We deserve to be directors and writers, too. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think we need to go a little bit beyond just what the inclusion writer stands for in order to start to fix the system that we've all fallen prey to. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right. And then the final award of the night, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway get a second chance at getting it right. <laughs> and they present best best picture to the shape of water. Yay. And there was much rejoicing in my house. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I, I was so thrilled, you guys. I was so happy. I This... It is very rare for my actual favorite movie of the year to win Best Picture. And it happened last night. And I was just so, like, just thinking about it. I was so excited. And this is where, like, you know, earlier we started to refer a little bit. Like, I'm so tired of people just calling it the fish sex movie. Like, that's so ridiculous. It is such a a layered and beautiful story. And, you know, some asshole on Twitter was like, it's just that you don't know any of these characters. You don't know anybody from this movie. And I'm like, really? I don't know any brave women who would risk everything to save the people that they love. I know a million women like that. You know, come on. Don't tell me I don't know these people. Yeah. And I definitely know the Michael Shannon character. I'll tell oh, you that much. Oh, yeah. Exactly. In fact, probably the guy that tweeted it. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, uh, does he have a mother? Like, that is literally most of Mother's main thing. Like, 
we mm-hmm. were going we would sacrifice ourselves for our families and i mean i'm speaking cuz i am a mom um this is what we do like for uh i mean uh, like the mom community we all talk about this like of uh how we always put ourselves last so screw that guy <laughs> yeah Exactly. Well, and it's not even just, uh, you know, in reference to Eliza's character. Mm-hmm. We all know people that don't want to be involved in a situation, but they eventually end up doing the right thing just because they kind of feel like they need to, you know, and they're very reluctant, but they do it. And we well, definitely know the villains, the Michael Shannon character, and we know the people that are torn. We know every one of these characters. I could name like three people off the top of my head that fit into what those what what the characters are, you know, so that was just such bullshit. It, it, it is bullshit, and it, and, it, and the fact is, the shape of what the shape of weather does so well is that it's a fable, it's right? A, it's a it's a fairy tale. It is, and that's that's the way that it's constructed. That's the way that it's presented right from the very beginning, and it does what all great narrative art is supposed to do, which is it's a very specific story, it's a very individual story, and it is also universal. Mm-hmm. It is. It's about marginalization. It's about you know this char- characterizing the other. Um, you know, characterizing the the men the men who believe that they are made in God's image and that anything that is outside of that image is wrong and has to be destroyed or subdued. Right. Right. It's it's all of those stories, and that's why it that is why it appealed to so many people. That is why it's such a a wonderful story. Is that it does take this marginalization and this otherness and the sense of um, being an outcast in, in whatever way. And that's what all of the people who are the heroes of the story are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and making them in and being like, these are the people that we should be celebrating and that we should be venerating. And the hero is not the jingoistic white dude anymore. He's right. not the good guy. Yeah. A couple of uh, interesting facts about The Shape of Water. It is the first Best Picture winner to feature a central lead character that is a woman since Million Dollar Baby, as far as Best Pictures go. Since Million Dollar Baby in, uh, it was, how long ago was that? 13 years ago? Um, Also, The Shape of Water is the first Best Picture winner since Return of the King to be written or co-written by a woman. Before that, the last one was Mrs. Miniver in 1942. Holy shit. Yeah. So there are a lot of reasons to be overjoyed for The Shape of Water. It's a beautiful movie, and it's done, like, I mean, it's just the inclusion, the representation for a lot of ways, and just, I I can't, I'm, I'm, I, I'm speechless. I'm so excited. Yolanda, any thoughts? Oh, God. I was so happy. Honestly, <laughs> I thought, uh, I've, like, 100% before last night, I thought it was Get Out was going to win. Um, but Get Out or The Shape of Water were totally my picks. Like, I was like, I'd be happy with either of them. And it just the, it's a sci-fi, you know, fantasy, fable uh Women, woman-led film that tells so many different stories. I mean, I could talk to ten different people, and they'll te- all ten of them would have come away with something different. And um, yeah, I'm happy, and it's beautiful, and it deserves everything that it got. Absolutely. So, uh, Yolanda, I know you said you have to get going. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't you tell time. everyone where? <laughs> why don't you tell everyone where they can follow you? Uh, you can find me best at Sassy Mama, that's M-A-M-A, in L.A., 
at Twitter, and then you can find find everywhere I'm going. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us. Right, thanks so much. Lauren Stan, we'll wrap up. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Um, sorry, Lauren, I know you had another thought you wanted to share about Shape of Water. Uh... Oh, I, I thought you remember. did. Sorry. <laughs> I No, I may I may have, but I'm not certain whether I can remember it now. Oh, okay. yeah. No, the, the, there was one more thing that I wanted to say. This, is, was, this was also a year when we had very sort of straightforward Oscar Beatty nominees for Best Yeah, Picture. I actually saw your tweet on that, and I'm glad that you brought it up again because I wanted to talk about it. Uh, so you have something, you have the things like The Post, um, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, all of which have their, their good points. There's one of those that I really don't like. Um, Uh, yeah. (laughs) But they all have their good points, but they're all very recognizable Oscar bait films. They're very, you know, they're the sort of things that you expect to see uh, on Oscar night, Mm -hmm. uh, get tons of awards. And they, you know, they didn't. They didn't come away with that much. Yeah. And the fact that that some of the front runners in that pack of films were were like genre films, were films about race, were films about otherness, were films about were films directed by non-white men. That's pretty spectacular. And that's the fact that that the Academy, which is always about twenty years behind the times is finally recognizing that sort of thing that we're actually beginning to get that put up on the big screen and saying like this, this is worthy of awards. This is worthy of recognition and and giving that power to those films is very important. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the thing, like, I mean, people debate all the time over whether Oscar bait is a thing. And I don't know why that's a debate because obviously it is. But I think that part of the reason that people disagree on this is because, like, to me, I don't believe that Joe Wright sits down to, like, craft a movie thinking this is the one that's going to finally win me an Oscar and he ends up with Darkest Hour. I think that he tells the stories that he wants to make and he puts together certain things and the film that he makes and the style that he presents it in ends up being something that a lot of the Academy would be drawn to, which is why it ends up in a best picture race. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that we have an Academy that looks at, you know, they, to them, this is what an Oscar movie is, which is really funny because when you ask people to define what an Oscar movie is, they can't, they just look at you like, well, but I mean, I'll know it when I see it, you know? And then there's the same people that say, well, Get Out's not an Oscar movie. Well, why is Get Out any less of an Oscar movie than Shakespeare in Love or mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, you know? And it's it's such an interesting thing. And this year we have a, an academy that is 25% or so new members, and it's a lot more diverse. And so I think... I think this is going to be a new direction now because a lot of those older members that have this very specific thing that they're looking for when they're choosing their idea of what should be a best picture, that group is dying out. They're old Mm -hmm. and they're dying out and they're being replaced by people who are forward thinking and who understand that film doesn't have to be just stuffy old British period pieces which is not, I'm sorry, which is not how I see Darkest Hour personally, but that is how I see Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think that it's a, just a different, and I think you're going to start seeing things, more things like Get Out. And I think this is why Black Panther has a great shot next year. 
and you know you'll see more of just people starting to look at these genre films which always cracked me up because drama is a genre too (laughs) so every film is a genre film really and um but you're gonna see more of these you know I think that we're not far from seeing another comedy movie win best picture you know and I that would be great oh yeah absolutely and I, I think that that time is coming but it takes not changing the movies it takes changing the academy yeah. which is happening so absolutely yeah well um we did get a couple of questions we got three questions from one person <laughs> <laughs> which is great i love it um we actually already talked about one of them uh so this comes from at internet cassie on twitter and i just want to say hi cassie i actually met her at sundance she's very sweet um so she first asked what will it do to ladybird to have walked away with zero wins uh, I mean, I I was this is something we haven't talked about. I was disappointed that Lady Bird didn't get anything. Yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, because it was compete, it was competing in all of these categories where I was like, it deserves it, and this other film also deserves it, or this other actor also deserves it, or this other script. Uh, so it's it's hard it's hard to say that I I think that it was such a beloved film, and it did it has done so well for what it is. I mean, it's some some of it's box office has been remarkable for the way that it opened and the mm-hmm. way that it was sold and the way that it was marketed you know Gehrig this is this is more or less the start of Gehrig's directing career yeah so we're going to see a lot more stuff from her is it ever going to be the kind of thing that's going to be recognized by the academy I don't know because the the so much of the attitude that has gone that went into that was you know well it's but it's not that's not the way you direct an Oscar winning film. You know, you, there, there aren't like, it's not very showy. There's not um, a really intensely established aesthetic, all of that stuff that we kind of, you know, you almost have to have in order to win a best director Oscar. I, who knows? It's still a great film and it's still a wonderfully relatable film. And I, I don't think that it's going to hurt the, I don't think it's going to hurt it. And I don't think it's going to hurt Gehrig's career that she didn't win an Oscar, that the film didn't win an Oscar. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the thing is so many great movies didn't win best picture, you know? Yeah. And I mean that winning best picture does not guarantee lasting, a lasting legacy, you know? I mean, look at a lot of the best picture winners that it's like, whoever even talks about or thinks about that movie anymore. And then there are other movies that's like they endure because they're so good. I mean, one of my all-time favorite movies is Dead Poet Society. That was nominated for Best Picture. It didn't win. And so, you know, let's talk about Star Wars. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I don't think that winning or losing that Oscar is going to change the fact that this movie has one of the highest critical scores on Rotten Tomatoes ever and not because people just were like oh well we're just gonna rank it high no it's because they just love this movie and I think it will endure so and then she also asked about the inclusion writer but we talked about that and then she said about about the shape of water winning best picture what a unique winner how do you think it will affect the movies that will be made in the future which I think we talked about a little bit more about like how things will be nominated, but yeah, what about how movies will be made? Um, well, I hope that it means that Guillermo del Toro will get to make At the Mountains of Madness. Yes! That is what I hope. 
Yes. So if that is the if that is the only thing that comes out of this, <laughs> I will be so happy. I do actually hope that this means that Del Toro is going to get um, more opportunities to make the kinds of films that he wants to make, mm-hmm. and that Hollywood is really going to give him that backing, um, because he's struggled so much with just getting to produce the films that he has wanted to produce. And we've talked about how Shape of Water, he didn't take a salary for it, all of that, which is is fine. It's a labor of love. But, you know, artists also deserve to have their their visions uh, bankrolled. And Hollywood would do well to take cues from him mm-hmm. uh, and actually produce more films along those lines. You know, it's it's such a unique film that I don't, I don't see there being like 50 copycat versions of it. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, it does, we were talking about inclusion, diversity. It, it does sort of say like, hey, this is, this is an offbeat film. This is not, like we're saying, this is not a normal sort of quote, this is not a great man film. It's not about a, a, a um, dramatic moment in history or anything like that. And it won Best Picture. And it won Best Director. So... Yeah. This this means something, you know. What it what cues they'll actually wind up taking from that? Who the hell knows? Hollywood is incredibly stupid. It's so true, and they take a but... long time to learn lessons when they actually get around to learning them. But yeah. the other thing that I think this movie teaches, if people are willing to le- learn this lesson, is, I mean, the production budget on the movie that one production design was nineteen million dollars. That's pretty amazing. It looks like an $80 million film and it's not. And it's because he pulled together very talented craftspeople that know how to just make things beautiful. And, and he did an incredible job. I mean, look at the films that it beat in that category and yeah, this film, $19 million. And so to me, that's like another lesson that, hey, you don't have to go out and have a $150 million budget to make these big movies. Let's spend a little bit less and try to, you know, try to spread it out. Try to give some opportunities, provide opportunities to people where it's, you know, they're so worried about, oh, well, I can't take a risk on this big budget film with this untested director, even though they do it with white dudes all the time. But maybe this will tell them, like, hey, let's lower the budget a little bit and see what a Guillermo del Toro can yeah. do. See what, a, you know, a um, Ama Asante or somebody like that can do. Yeah. And let's spread it out and let's let's give people, filmmakers, the opportunity to just create. So that's what I hope this means. Yes. So. Sounds All good right. to me. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. We went a lot longer than I planned on anyway. Dang it. <laughs> so, we just fail. We fail we, at this. We just have so much to say. Um, but anyway, so thank you all for listening. Uh, thanks again to Yolanda for joining us this week. And, of course, you're always able to follow the show. We are at Citizen Dame Pod on Twitter. We're Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can download us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean. Our Podbean site is citizendame.podbean.com. We have our official website, citizendamepod.com, where we have our weekly top five and Kristen's review of the exceptionally 
terrible mute <laughs> um, is live now for Patreon subscribers and it will be available to everyone this Friday. And speaking of Patreon, if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen pod and help us out. Um, your, your patronage will help pay for awesome things that we want to do, um, some bonus content that we're trying to arrange. And also, we're really wanting to be able to have a transcriptionist to make the show available to the hearing impaired. So that would be something really cool that we really want to do. So, um, yeah. So any support you can kick our way, that'd be awesome. We love you for it. And Lauren, where can they follow you? I am at LH Business on Twitter. Thanks. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. Kristen is at Journeys underscore film. And yes. okay, I was like, wait, I think that's right. And uh, Kimberly is at kpierce six twenty four. So follow us all, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Sing a secret song to each night we are apart. Remember me. Though I have to travel far, remember me. Each time you hear a sad guitar, know that I'm with you the only way that I can.